Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So I understand you got to engage in some uh, free-form human interaction. (laughs) So I hope that went well for you. And you might have noticed that this last sitting, if you uh, settled into your posture and uh, tried to be present, uh, things were already different. Right? Anyone find that? Uh, There was a different energy in the body, perhaps in the mind. And for some, that could be a little bit disconcerting, right? Like, oh no, what happened to my well-earned samadhi, concentration, calm, right? Where did it go? (laughs) Is it already leaving me after such a short time? And the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you can get used to it, um, because everything comes together because of causes and conditions, So this is among the teachings of the uh, Dharma, the way things are, is that everything comes together because of different causes. And for the last 10 days, we've been living here together as a community uh, in this container of the retreat. And among the ingredients that have supported our being able to uh, pay attention and develop some amount of groundedness to see what's actually happening are, uh, for example, the silence and the solitude. And I think about the silence um, and the solitude sometimes as like a wetsuit, you know, that you can put on uh, and that actually enables you to dive down and to be able to see into the nature of your body, your mind, emotions, like this whole rich world that usually uh, we're not paying that much attention to and that we're distracted from being able to uh, understand and see the nature of. Now, likewise, uh, likely when you go home, uh, people are going to ask, how is your Thanksgiving, right? And, uh, you know, if you tell them, I was on a silent meditation retreat, usually people latch on to the silent part, right? Uh, and I've always thought it was, it's funny about that, because it's kind of like if someone's gone on a, you know, deep scuba diving expedition and people become obsessed with asking about the wetsuit, you know? It's like, what was it like wearing a wetsuit? What was the wetsuit like? How did it feel? How did it fit? How did you get into it? Did you like it, you know? And, uh, you know, you're like, don't you want to know about the fish and the octopus and the, you know, coral and the, right? But people don't know that there even exists such things. So, you know, people usually get stuck on the wetsuit. So that's okay, And then you yourself might get stuck there a little bit too, right? So, uh, you know, as your practice here um, might have had more energy in the mind and maybe you were replaying some of the conversations that just happened um, over the last couple hours. Uh, And then when you go back to your uh, daily life, uh, you know, you probably have a lot of juice for actually sitting. And now it seems like, oh, of course I could have a daily practice. Like, I could sit for half an hour, even an hour a day, maybe even twice a day, right? Before I was sitting for eight, ten hours a day, so that seems easy to fit that in, right? You may find differently once you get back to your busy life, of course. 
but also you might find when you actually do sit in your regular life, um, unless you lead a very unusual life in which you have a lot of um, you know, quiet and solitude and so on, the conditions are different. So you might be busier or have a lot of people to deal with or uh, things to do, etc. Right? So engaging in the content of life. And actually that's fine. So that's, that's totally fine, is the first thing I would say. It's different, and it's a sign of change. And both your ability to maybe see details might be less, and what you're observing might be different. But it actually is uh, all fair game for mindfulness. So mindfulness can meet any experience, whether it's speedy or slow or detailed or not detailed, uh, with attention. And it's really good for us to be able to learn to be present with everything. Sometimes um, if you sit in your daily life, it feels a little bit like taking out the garbage or something, like you're just rehashing the day or something like that. And then you might uh, cast your mind back, comparing mind to your, some of the more peaceful sittings that you had in the retreat and feel like, oh, what's the use then, you know? Or for those of you who had a painful retreat, now maybe you will have relief from that too. Right? Uh, but it still is worthwhile because, of course, uh, you know, if you don't take out the garbage, what happens to the garbage? Garbage piles up, right? So uh, just allowing yourself to tap into mindfulness, to collect yourself, to connect uh, with presence as best you can, regardless of what it is that you see when you do that, is a very worthwhile thing. The good news, though, is that this is only a part of the path. So this sitting meditation, walking meditation, cultivating mindfulness and concentration are very important parts of our path of finding happiness, peace, liberation. Um, But they're actually only part of it. So there are many other components that it's helpful for us to know about and to bring into our life. Otherwise, you might um, have a mistaken notion of what the path is. And um, I remember I did my first 10-day retreat when I was in college, and I was very um, excited about it. I practiced for a couple years, uh, take some classes and some day-longs and this and that. And then I came back from this 10-day retreat, and I was so excited about everything I'd seen and learned. And then I proceeded to try to basically make my dorm room like a retreat uh, center, (laughs) Uh, and I was remembering when Will was giving his quote about, you know, people who go about in the world annoying others, um, that I must have been one of those people, and um, I feel very fortunate that actually my um, college roommates are still friends of mine some uh, <laughs> 20-some years later, because, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not really possible to do that, right? So uh, I was having some trouble sinking gracefully into the conditions of life, which, of course, in a college dorm are very different than what we have um, here. But in fact, the Dharma is just the way things are. So it's the truth of the way things are. So the good news is that you know, what the Buddha discovered uh, on his, through his enlightenment was just understanding the truth about existence. And that truth is actually something that is there for us to see in every moment. So you don't actually need a special or a glamorous moment to be able to see into that. You know, it's there all the time for us. Uh, to be able to connect with, to access, to see. So I liken also to the, uh, the law of gravity, the way things are, right? Uh, so the law of gravity is just uh, truth about how things are in the physical world. 
Uh, and it's something that, um, you know, possibly you don't know about when you're born so well, and then you sort of learn about it. And then basically you learn to live in accordance with this law, right? So, uh, you know, you see babies kind of experimenting with this a little bit, and they're in the, the high chair, and then they start dropping things off, right? Food and their spoon and things, right? Uh, and then watching it fall down, and then dropping on this side, and like watching it fall, and then watching the grown-ups pick it up and bring it back, right? <laughs> also a fun part of the game. Um, and then eventually, you know, they sort of get the picture, like you drop things off and they all seem to fall, like the peas, the carrots, the spoon, the cup, it all falls, right? Uh, so they pick up the pattern with that, and then um, you understand, like, oh, if I wish to place this glass somewhere, if I place it in midair, it's going to likely fall and break, right? And that that happens is not personal uh, to me. Like, I don't need to take it personally. Uh, it's not something that uh, is actually necessarily even a problem if I learn how to live in accordance with that, right? So, okay, so I'll place this on this shelf, right, that. Then that's okay, that's fine. If I try and place it in midair, it's a problem. So similarly, as we learn about the way things are, and we learn to live in harmony with that, we learn to align ourselves with that, we suffer less. We create less messes for ourselves and others, right? There's less metaphorical broken glass and water around in our life, right? So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the uh, dimensions of this, of the paying attention. Some of them we've already covered. One of the important ones uh, is about how we act in the world. So wise action, wise speech. And we talked about this in the beginning of the retreat as the precepts, and I talked about it also as part of the path to happiness, right? the bliss of blamelessness, and so on. So if you think about it, we actually are acting and speaking in the world much more often than we're sitting in meditation for most of us. So as a field of practice, paying attention to action and speech is really a very rich field. There's a lot of opportunity to engage with that. And there actually is a lot to learn from that, too. So if you reflect, for example, about even the conditions here on the retreat, and uh, what are some of the things that actually seem to allow you to open up to your experience, or uh, to be present, or even what makes Spirit Rock different than other places. So I've, I've brought some people here um, sometimes who are not even uh, meditators or practitioners, and immediately they sense something different about this place, right? Um, on the very surface, at least, there are these deer and turkeys walking around, right? Uh, and um, they seem to be, uh, like, pretty much at peace, uh, hanging out, doing their deer and turkey thing, right? And it's really quite unusual uh, to see, right? And it's actually very beautiful, right? It's very moving to... Uh, be an environment in which the animals feel safe and feel like they can just relax and kind of live their animal lives. Right? And, you know, on this property is, uh, basically it's because of the protection of the precepts. So these animals know on this area they can come and people are not going to hunt them. You know, people are not going to disturb them, right? Uh, so then they can feel uh, happy and peaceful to just, like, graze and, you know, whatever the turkeys do, peck at things and fly, and you know, right? Um, and it actually is a great gift for us too, right? So, you know, we give this gift of, uh, through not killing, 
And then a gift is given back to us also, right? And the Buddha talks about this, uh, about the precepts as five great gifts, five great gifts that we can give, original, long-standing, and ancient. So one abstains from taking life. In doing so, she gives freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, freedom from oppression to limitless beings. So limitless beings, right? All the beings around don't have to fear for their lives. And in doing that, she also gains a share in limitless freedom from danger, limitless freedom from animosity, and freedom from oppression. And then likewise goes through each of the precepts like that. So through each of these, we give this freedom from danger, animosity, and oppression to limitless beings. And likewise, we actually also receive that gift. So the animals can relax, and then that actually allows us to relax too, right? To just be able to watch them is a very beautiful thing, to be in that kind of relationship. And it's also connected to uh, metta, to the sense of uh, loving kindness. Uh, And it's said that, you know, this is among also the greatest gifts we can give another being, is the sense of safety in our presence. So being a trustworthy person, or someone feeling like, oh, this person is not going to hurt me, Uh, bodily injury, they're not going to um, speak harshly to me, they're going to be honest with me, Uh, they're not going to be like weird with sexuality with me in some way. You know, just feeling like, okay, I can just relax around you, like I can trust you, you know. So it's a really uh, important dimension of life to pay attention to uh, our actions in this way. So it also uh, encapsulates some of the main uh, drives that it helps us to pay attention to in our mind. So the things that come across our mind, the intentions that uh, come into our hearts, uh, and then which ones we actually will act from, and which ones we let go of. So for example, in abstaining from killing, uh, or abstaining from harming, or even harsh speech, is noticing when those uh, intentions of aggression, of hurtfulness, of cruelty will arise within us. And doing our best to see that and then doing our best to try to uh, let go of those. And then trying to understand what are the uh, causes for those to arise, trying to avoid those causes. Then the second precept around stealing or taking what's not offered, craving is the root, greed. So wanting something, the grasping mind. So being able to see that and know that, know what that state is, right? Be able to read that in your heart and mind. And then also to know the other side of it, generosity, right? Renunciation, uh, the kind of intentions that actually lead to more uh, positive results for ourselves and other beings. So that covers the... uh, wise action, wise speech, um, things to pay attention to, uh, not killing, not stealing, paying attention to our use of sexuality, how we engage with others, uh, and then paying attention to what we take in uh, in terms of drugs, drink, something that might otherwise cause us to do something that we wouldn't want to do, right? something that we would later regret. So giving ourselves basically the best chance we can to uh, act in a way that uh, we later will be happy about, or in the moment we'll be happy about too. Now, of course, we uh, will uh, make mistakes a lot of the time, and that's also uh, 
understandable. And then we try to learn from that. And then we try to do better the next time and try to forgive ourselves for that too. So as we try to pay attention to um, what is arising in our heart, this is around like wise intention and wise effort. So in knowing what's arising, is this wholesome, is this unwholesome? And then knowing which of those paths we want to actually speak and act from. So these are two other links on the Eightfold Path here. So generosity, kindness, compassion, for example, uh, intentions that we like to uh, act and speak from versus greed, hatred, cruelty, etc. So when you've been practicing mindfulness here, you know, we've been sitting and we've been encouraging you to pay attention to everything. So just to know everything that arises. So actually not to uh, try to hide from things, not to pretend things are not happening, but be able to know all of these, these uh, different states of mind and heart. And this is very helpful. And then you can apply this in your life by knowing which of these are ones that you would like to follow. Right? So uh, the analogy that uh, I like to use for this is like, it's like your mind and your heart, it's like a train station. Right? And different trains come through all the time. And when we're not mindful, basically, we just get on whichever train happens to pull through the station. So, uh, you know, you're sitting there and then suddenly something, a train pulls in and it's like a train of memory about someone who used to go out with and then you get jealous and then you're not being mindful so you're on that train for a long time and then you wake up somewhere in this kind of, you know, the desolate landscape of like jealousy and memory and, you know, it's like, uh, you know, burning trash cans and like (laughs) large rats and, you know... That's like the mind state that you wake up, right? And then, okay, right, back here, back here, right. And then another train might go through, and maybe this time it's uh, compassion. So then, okay, if you get on that train, then that ends up in a very different place, right? More peaceful, harmonious place, right? Maybe a place like this with the deer and the turkeys and <laughs> sunshine, and you know, or even rain, but it's all good, right? Um, and we have to learn how to read these. You know, we have to learn how to read these energies as they come through. So mindfulness is helpful in learning how to read these. Um, I had mentioned earlier that I spent time in, um, in Sri Lanka at, this, uh, at some monasteries and practice centers. And um, I was actually born and raised here in the U.S., although my family is from Sri Lanka. So uh, when I went there, I knew how to speak, like sort of conversationally, okay. I'd spent summers there sometimes, but I didn't know how to read and uh, write very well. And I was often in some sort of remote places um, and would take the bus uh, places. And in many places, the buses were labeled in uh, Sinhalese, so not in uh, English. And as I was reading, I started to, you know, I started to get the characters down and, you know, my little cousins would teach me and stuff. And um, uh, so then I could read like, kind of like a second grader or something, right? So in these remote places, there weren't really bus stops. You just stand there, and then you kind of flag down a bus. But I would have to figure out if it was the right bus to flag. So the bus would be coming by, and I'd start to read, like, ku, ru, and then boom, you know. <laughs> it was gone, right? I couldn't. Uh, and then, you know, they did wait a long time for another bus to come. You know, and another one, like, na, ra, right, gone. So then I would try and guess maybe from the first letter if it was right. I would just flag it and get on. 
<clears throat> and then I would have to read, you know, once I was inside, I'd try and read, oh, this is the wrong bus, get out. And then, you know. And then, uh, you know, as I got better, though, I st- at reading, then I could read uh, faster, uh, fortunately. And then I, I could see, okay, is this the bus that I want? And then flag it, and then get on the right bus and avoid the wrong bus, right? So it's like that with the energies of our heart and mind, right? So we're learning to read them. Like, well, what is this state that is possessing me? Like, is it... Is this a wholesome state or an unwholesome state? Is this skillful or is this unskillful? So broadly speaking, you could say, just if I can even discern that, right? But, you know, what is this? This is like fear, this is rage, this is joy. Like, what is going on with me? And in the beginning, it's hard to tell, right? Like, we start to learn to read these energies in our mind, in our body, right? And it's understandable that, that as we're going along, a lot of times, like, we're already on the bus, you know, and then we're figuring it out, like, and then sometimes like, oh, okay, this is not the one I want. Get off, right? Uh, but as we practice mindfulness, like we start to learn, like what does that feel like in my mind? What does that feel like in my body, right? So we'll be able to read sooner and sooner um, what those energies are and uh, be able to understand like which of those ones are the ones that we want to. So likewise then, uh, there's a bigger picture thing about paying attention to um, wise livelihood. So Buddha talked about this on this practical level. It's like, what are you doing with your life? Right. So what are you doing with your precious human life here? Uh, how are you spending your energy? And uh, what are your efforts going towards? So, uh, you know, there's, there's some specific kind of things that are not recommended to do as your livelihood, uh, mainly because uh, undertaking these professions causes you to habitually uh, sow the seeds of uh, unwholesome action, right? Unwholesome intention and action. So like killing, you know, in some way as a livelihood, right? So that includes uh, for uh, Buddhists actually being butchers also, but also, uh, you know, being an assassin, not a recommended uh, <laughs> profession, right? Um, or things that cause human suffering also, so trading in people in some way, you know, slavery or prostitution, um, some, something that causes suffering to other beings in some habitual way, right, not recommended. But then there's a lot of things that are more like, you know, kind of murky area, right? And also in the modern world, uh, you know, all these professions were not uh, covered of what things do. Also, also like uh, dealing in poisons and intoxicants was not recommended, so things that would harm others or else, you know, cloud other people's minds also not recommended as a profession. Uh, but so you could take a look at what you're actually up to in your life. And there are plenty, plenty of professions that are sort of neutral and, you know, then it kind of is like, how do I go about doing my job? Like, it's fine, you know, like there are things like people have to make all this stuff here, you know, and uh, objects and keep things running and, you know, that's good. And actually, if you work in those uh, fields, then also... There's a different level you can look at, which is about how am I creating a world within my environment, too. So particularly if you have any uh, leadership or authority, even if you don't, like what is the nature of my work environment? Right? Uh, like is it an environment in which people uh, feel like they can be honest? Is it an environment in which people feel like uh, they can act ethically and are actually rewarded for that? Is it a place where people feel like they can be like creative and whole and actually happy, right? Like most of us spend more time at work than doing anything else. So it's actually very important for us to have healthy work environments. Uh, so paying attention to that. 
how are you going about your work? So what's the way in which you're going about your work yourself? Right? Uh, and even in more uh, subtle ways, you could think about, like, in what way am I training my mind yeah, in this particular activity that I'm doing? So there's a lot of different subtlety you can pay attention to, to even like how you're doing your job. or is, it, is the way that you're doing it more conducive to, for example, collectedness of mind or distraction? You know? uh, so that's not like an ethical thing, but also for someone who's interested in sort of cultivating their mind and heart towards freedom, it's actually helpful and actually also just interesting to see, like, oh, what's, what's going on here? Even with use of technology, it's a whole rich field in the modern world to pay attention to, to how we engage with technology in our work, in our personal life, and how that is conducive or not conducive to uh, our path of uh, awakening. And then we have a wise view. So uh, this is actually the first part of the Eightfold Path of understanding uh, at deeper and deeper levels basically all the teachings of the Dharma that have been given here. So about suffering and the end of suffering. Understanding about cause and effect. And you know, here on uh, the retreat, we're practicing vipassana with mindfulness to try to uh, know this through direct attention to seeing the arising and passing away of the six sense experiences. Right? But also you can do some contemplation. Right? So there's a skillful use of thought of reflecting on this. And uh, you know, Pat mentioned this in the reflections about uh, death and sickness and old age. You know. But also you could just reflect on these different um, aspects of suffering and the end of suffering, of cause and effect in your life. And basically just get interested in this. You know? Like your whole life can be a field of practice in some way. Like you don't have to be in the retreat center. You know? Just get interested in all these questions and try to apply them to your life and then everything can be part of... Uh, part of rich fodder for that. So as part of understanding suffering and the end of suffering, a very um, practical application of that is uh, attending to uh, dukkha, to, uh, to suffering, to unsatisfactoriness, to strain stress. And many of us have told stories about this um, you know, in our life of just noticing, like, well, when is there strain, stress, when is there this sense going on in the mind and the heart? And then actually trying to turn your attention to that. Like, well, what is going on now? Right? Like, what's going on in my body, in my mind? Like, what's up here? Right? And in some ways, as I reflect on my own uh, spiritual practice and path, I feel like it's been this process of becoming um, more and more attentive to more and more subtle levels of, uh, of dukkha, of this uh, strain, stress, suffering, right? Uh, and actually more and more uh, intolerant in some ways of that in my life. Like, uh, like uh, less interested in having that go on for uh, <laughs> any length of time at all, you know, <laughs> as I notice it, right? And, uh, and then becoming better and better at noticing it on more and more um, subtle levels in that way. Right? And you kind of catch it wherever you can, right? So sometimes it's like uh, hugely obvious uh, and... Uh, at a certain point you suddenly can remember, oh, this is what's going on. This is dukkha. So that's the first noble truth. This is dukkha. Just even that is really good that you can notice that. And then you can notice like, well, if there's dukkha, if there's some strain, stress, suffering, I've heard that there's some clinging somewhere. (laughs) 
there's something that I might be clinging to or, or pushing it away from or something. So see, you know, kind of knock around, sort of like, you know, see if you can suss out what that might be, right, a little bit. And just get interested in it. You know, it's, it's actually a really interesting uh, exploration. So I'll tell you a little story about this. I was, on a, um, I, I was invited to teach maybe five or six years ago in um, San Juan Islands, in, um, maybe five years ago, in um, like Washington State. And it's very beautiful there. So you like, fly into Seattle, and then you take some ferries and stuff. And, and I, like, um, I like boats, I like ferries, and um, I like animals, and there's like seals in the water, and you know, birds, and stuff like that. And usually it's something that I would enjoy, but um, it happened that I had just started dating someone, right? And um, I was noticing myself um, um, missing her a lot. And I was like, oh, like, oh, you know. And suddenly it dawned on me, like, what's wrong with this picture? Like, why, why, is, why am I unhappy? I'm on this boat. I like boats. Like, there's a seal. I like seals, you know. Uh, and, like, I'm unhappy. Something, you know, what's, what's up here? You know, so I turn to look at this and, you know, uh, you know, here also it's helpful to look inwards because, you know, I could sort of blame the other person, like, it's, oh, it's her fault. <laughs> like, but actually it's all happening in the mind, right? That girlfriend was like far away doing her own thing. So I noticed that there was this idea, there was this idea of, um, of um, picked up that this would be like, oh, if this person were here, right, this would be better. It was just an image, like an idea, right? And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's what it is, this idea of this, this image in the mind, this idea, right? And then I'm clinging on to that. And then immediately it's sort of like the glasses of um, things are not good, like drop on. And then, you know, that lens is there. So even this like lovely seal is seen through that lens of like, it's not good enough, right? Uh, And uh, so once I saw that, and then you also can sometimes use reflection. So I thought about this, like, is this really true, right? Would this be better if this person were here, right? (laughs) And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't, right? So sometimes you're with someone else, and like, they want to be inside, you want to be outside, right? Uh, you know, they want to sit on that side of the boat, you want to sit on this side of the boat. Um, they get seasick, like, you know, then you have to spend all the time holding their hair while they vomit, right? You know, and, uh, you know, not that I mind doing those things, of course, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but, you know, it could be any range of things, like you don't know. And the mind makes up some story, and then if you believe that thought, then you're invested in that, right? But the truth is you don't know. It might be better, it might be the same, it might be worse. Who knows, right? So then, you know, and being able to let go of that, I was again able to, like, just be with the experience of as it is. And actually it was quite nice, right? And I actually did tell this, this uh, uh, person, even though I just started dating her, I did tell her about this uh, afterwards, and... Um, uh, fortunately, she could take that in not as an insult or something, but you know. Uh, but she was surprised. Like I think she hadn't. Uh, she was not actually a practitioner, and she wasn't used to someone like talking like this about you know working with the mind and stuff. And uh, she was like, "You should write a book." Like that's. <laughs> it was like <laughs> so perplexing. Like wow, that's crazy. Wow. Okay, but. All of us can do this. You know, all of, you, all of us can do this. It's, it's just, I mean, it really is just being interested in it and training yourself to see this, right? Like training yourself to understand how our reality gets created, like how our sense of self gets created, like all this stuff, and see through it in some way, you know? And it can actually be fun, too. You know, if, if it's, it's really interesting to see how the mind creates things in this way. 
So uh, I don't remember if we have said this, uh, described this uh, quote from the Buddha, from the Dhammapada before. It's a very commonly um, quoted one. Mind is the forerunner of all things. Act and speak with an unwholesome mind, and suffering will follow you like the wheel that follows the foot of the ox. So this is like the wheel of an ox cart, an ox cart pulled by an ox, right? Mind is a forerunner of all things. Act and speak with a wholesome mind, a pure mind, and happiness will follow you as surely as your never-departing shadow. So this is the way to freedom from suffering. You know, This is like you sow the seeds and the results will arise. You sow the seeds and the results will arise. You know? And um, here it is actually within uh, our control to pay attention in the moment to what's arising as best we can. So there's been a lot of um, research done recently in the fields of um, neuroscience and um, psychology and things like that about meditation, right? And about our ability to actually change the way that we think and we view the world and that um, like our uh, brain is wired. And uh, particularly about the, the neuroplasticity of the brain. So I think it used to be thought that um, you know, the different um, circuits of your brain and the synapses and things were established when you were a little kid uh, which is when it was important to get good nutrition and learn languages and, you know, all this stuff. And then when you got to a certain point of adulthood, like you were kind of stuck with uh, right, what you had for uh, the rest of your days, and then it was just decay, like, from there on. And, um, but I think the last 10, 20 years it's been discovered that actually this is not true, that the brain is actually this remarkable, complex organ, and uh, different connections are constantly being made. And actually that... Um, what we pay attention to can cause different pathways uh, to be created in our mind. You know? So actually, uh, basically what this is saying in the, the same quote, you know, that we actually can uh, create and develop different uh, pathways of our mind, including paying attention to uh, what leads to uh, calm, peace, happiness, joy, kindness, generosity, and what leads to stress, hatred, uh, rage, jealousy, etc. Right. So uh, you know they're doing all these. Um, you know, they started out doing them with monks. They'd take monks and nuns and like put all these little electrodes on them and have them meditate. And then you know, you know notice that their brain lights up in these different areas. And they started doing it with regular people too. So people who have regular jobs and live in cities and are not ordained or anything who did some meditation uh, in their life. And found even with people who are doing like 30 minutes of meditation a day or do uh, uh, some amount of mindfulness practice that uh, there's this remarkable ability noticed of the mind to like reform itself. Like the brain can change its shape, like actually can uh, reformat, if you will. So I mention this because, uh, you know, I think this is very convincing to some people about uh, the possibilities of freedom. And um, I had a friend who was, um, pra- has been practicing for a long time in some way, but was like a little bit halfway about it, frankly, for like 20 years. Uh, <laughs> and then I met her recently, and um, uh, she seemed, first of all, much, much happier, I have to say, like noticeably happier. And um, she was describing to me how now she was like very attentive to when uh, she was in this grouchy mood or angry mood or something like that, and she would notice it and, and really consciously try to let go of that 
And I was like, wow, that's great. Like, what made you actually, like, start paying attention in that way? And she told me she had read these, um, these neuroscience studies and actually had, um, you know, had the opportunity to talk to a scientist about this and said, like, can we really do this? And the scientist said, yes. And uh, so that gave her a lot of faith that um, this was possible. Uh, so it, it made me realize that, like, for a lot of us in the, you know, 21st century, uh, you know, Westerners in the 21st century, like, science is the religion, underlying religion, right? So, you know, you could have, like, spiritual teachers say this and, you know, <laughs> whatever say this, but, like, now science is saying it. And, you know, it's actually, there's articles in the New York Times that say it, you know, which is sort of the, the Bible of the modern intellectual. So... <laughs> Uh, so you can believe that it's true from that. And you can look this up more when you uh, go home if you're interested to see that there's more and more sort of uh, corroborated in the realm of science about this too. And this is good, you know, not just for ourselves. So, you know, a lot of the stories that we've been telling here in the uh, retreat studying and even these stories about paying attention individually to uh, what's happening, how suffering is created and so on, um, you know, it can sound like sort of self-absorbed in some way, right? And yet also, it's very good for the world. You know? So what is better for the world than people who have greater access to compassion, to empathy, right? to kindness, to generosity? You know, wouldn't this be a very different world if people actually were able to follow these uh, training precepts? Right? So if people didn't uh, hurt each other uh, or steal things, and so on. You know, actually, um, uh, among the news that you missed, you didn't miss that much in this 10 days, but, uh, you know, it was this big uh, shopping day on Friday, right? Black Friday, you know, where, um, you know, things go on sale, and you have to, like, sleep in it outside the shop to get something, and, um, I mean, basically, it's been more of the same, but one of the... Um, sad but humorous incidents was that um, someone actually used pepper spray to fend off people from getting some particular <laughs> purchase like Xbox or something like that you know in a shop so this is reported in the news that now it's come to that level of like combat for uh, <laughs> consumer uh, goods right and um, so you know wouldn't this be a better world if we could put down our, our arms in this way right <laughs> uh, and you know, it's in shopping, in our lives, in conflict, you know, in the world, like wars going on, you know, like wars actually going on, right, that our country is engaged in, that other countries are engaged in, that have gone on for decades now, right? Like people being killed for no good reason, right? People being put into situations in which they have to kill other human beings who they don't know, who have not done anything to them, right? Uh, people living in fear, being living in these war-torn countries, So what can we do? You know, what can we do as uh, people? What can we do as, uh, as individuals? And what can we do as communities here? So there's a, a very poignant um, story from the time of the Buddha, someone who came to him and, uh, and asked him this question. Um, a tangle within, a tangle without. This generation is entangled in a tangle. I ask you this, O Gautama, who can disentangle this tangle? Like, you could relate to that, right? So there's a tangle in your mind, and there's a tangle in the world. Like, it's a mess, right? People pepper spring each other for some game and wars and, you know. Uh, and also all the beautiful things, too. So not to paint just one side of the picture, but there's a tangle. It's all messed up in there, right? 
And his answer was basically, you know, describing the path, right? Uh, so someone uh, established in virtue, someone who's developed discernment and wisdom, uh, those for whom greed, greed, hatred, and ignorance have faded away. You know, th- for these, the tangle has been untangled. So doing our best to be uh, on that path, you know, doing our best to untangle the tangle. And when that happens also, it frees us up as uh, also unique and beautiful manifestations of life to contribute in the best way that we can. Right? So all of us are uh, completely unique. There's never going to be another you in the world. Right? Uh, so one side of impermanence is that everything is always disappearing, Everything is always changing. Everything's always going away, fading. You know, old age, uh, death. You know, all of that is all true, right? The other side of impermanence is everything's always appearing, right? Like appearing, 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 appearing. So as much as it's like gone, 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 it's also here, 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 right? And as we can actually rest in that and be with that appearance, as we can actually be open to whatever it is that's appearing, uh, particularly through our own unique manifestation, right? And we can actually then engage with what we see in front of us as problems, like as injustice, as difficulties in the world, and come up with more creative solutions. We can use our own skills, talents, uh, to allow some new solutions to come forward. So we limit ourselves by our ideas of how things are all the time. You know, um, the story I told about uh, you know uh, the person who goes into the, the cave and paints the tiger and then goes ah tiger and runs out right. You know you've seen this in your mind uh, here over and over again how we live in our world of uh, limited ideas. We live in our imaginary worlds. Right? So what if we could actually let that go and be present to the way things are? So the actual world, the actual truth of things is more amazing and beautiful than we know. And our own ability to actually connect and to be part of that, to recognize our interconnectedness and then through our own particular inclinations and gifts and you know, from having talked to many people here, there are so many different ways in which people are contributing in the world and doing really great things. Right? And you don't have to be like some huge you know, president or world leader to do that. You know? like all of us are in our particular situation and have our own gifts and viewpoint and uh, creativity to offer. So part of that and what facilitates that is uh, being able more and more to actually rest in the unknown. So resting in actually the mystery of not knowing what is going to happen in the next moment. Being able to be okay with connecting with the true vulnerability of life. And there's strength in being able to be in contact with vulnerability. There's actually strength in being able to be acting from love and from kindness. There's deep courage that it takes to rest in the not knowing rather than to cling to some security of our ideas about how things are. So 
so one um, story about this is a, I believe it's a Chinese folk tale about, you know, we we always have ideas about what's good and what's bad, and I've told some of you this story in the you know, uh, meetings we had. Uh, so something happens in your life, and we think like, oh, that's good, or we, something happens in your life, and we think, oh, that's bad, right? And we're quite wedded to the idea, and then uh, we live through that. And the truth is that like we do not have the slightest clue, like we do not have the big picture, right? And uh, you know, there's been stories about people who are going to uh, catch a plane and they're late to the plane and they miss the flight and it seems terrible and upset and then that plane actually crashes, right? The people on that plane die, right? So in this folktale is that uh, a farmer has a horse and it's a very beautiful horse and everyone in the village says, oh, that's so fortunate. That's great news. You have such a nice horse. And he says, maybe. And then the horse runs away and uh, escapes from the uh, paddock there. And everyone in the village says, Oh, that's terrible. Your beautiful horse is gone. Oh, so sad. And he says, hmm, Maybe. Right? And then the horse has been off making horse friends and uh, uh, brings, comes back to the farm with a horse, with a mate. And then they have horse uh, babies. And now he has a whole flock of horses. Or what do you call horses? A herd of horses? Herd, yes. <laughs> Uh, all beautiful horses now. And uh, so everyone says, oh, that's great. Look at all the horses you have. That's such good news. He says, maybe. But now I have to take care of these horses and train the horses and everything. So he gets his kids involved to train the horses. And then um, one of the kids breaks his leg. He gets kicked by the horse and breaks his leg. So then everyone says, oh, that's terrible. I can't believe that happened to you. So sad. He says, maybe. Right. And then there's a war in the country and there's a draft and all of the young people are taken for the draft but this uh, child who had broken the leg doesn't get taken, right? So you see how the story goes on. I could go on for a long time like this but it's like, we don't know. Like, what's the next turn? What's the next thing that's going to happen, right? Something happens and we're so clear like, oh, this is good, this is bad, right? It is what it is, right? It is what it is and it also is often what we make of it. So part of the... uh, power of having uh, come into contact with this path is that you'll know how to find the way to make suffering that leads to the end of suffering. So for many people, things that happen to them that are painful is just painful. Like it just is terrible. It just feels like that. But if you can learn how to work with this, how to see into your experience, uh, basically you can like compost anything that comes through, you know? Mm -hmm. Like any bad things that happen in your life, seemingly bad things, like you can compost it, you know, turn it into mulch, right? And then grow from that, learn from that, right? New shoots growing, you know. Uh, there's endless possibilities in this way. You know, life is really more amazing than, uh, than we can think of. And sometimes uh, in my own practice, I feel like it's like, a, the, for some reason, the analogy came of like a juicer, you know, like a big juicer. And basically juices everything in life. And then sometimes, sometimes there's something like a little bristly that gets put in there and then it's like... But then it starts up again and like juices, you know, down. And, uh, you know, I have, I have such faith now in that, in my practice, in my juicer, you know, that uh, uh, just complete confidence that like whatever comes through uh, will be juiced, right? Will be juiced. And uh, also that like in that little, you know, I notice that like, you know, I pay attention when that happens. Like I pay attention and I get interested and I see what's up there, right? Uh, And then eventually it'll like spin again, right? 
So now you all have your own juicers, right? Your practice is your juicers, and uh, it can juice whatever comes through. So uh, what seems to be good, what seems to be bad, right? Uh, don't believe the stories of the mind about these things. You know, trust in this, uh, uh, this space of uh, openness, of resting in the mystery of things. And it's not just like a you know, strange spiritual thing to say, it's actually the truth of how things are. Right? We don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. Nobody does. Even the people who are projecting that they do, who seem with great confidence to say that, right? they don't know. Right? Uh, <laughs> I tell you this with, with surety. I remember at a certain point in my life, I was, um, you know, I, I, after I did that 10-day retreat uh, that I uh, described to you, I was like shot from a cannon about this practice. Like I was just really uh, interested. And I spent probably the next um, three to four years just doing practice, like uh, in a similar center to this in the East Coast, IMS. I spent like a year there. I did a three-month retreat. I did you know, another uh, period of time. Then I went to Sri Lanka. I went to India. I was just like on fire with it. And uh, it was interesting at the time that I was getting a lot of pushback from my family. Like I just graduated from college and I went to Harvard. I seemed very promising, uh, you know. <laughs> young person, and now I just want to go off and watch myself breathe, and, you know, <laughs> uh, it seems very disappointing, and, uh, but, you know, actually, the, um, I was reflecting, as I recently found this box of, um, of letters from this time, and um, I really admired, when I read the letters, like, my own strength of purpose, uh, like, I just really was on fire about this, like, I knew what I wanted, and uh, I, was, I was thinking, like, I actually had more, uh, you know, ambition and drive than you know, to be able to understand the mind, to be free from suffering, is like actually the tallest order. You know, it's it's so much more ambitious than anything you can do in the world <laughs> to do that. You know, it really is. You know, make money, build things. It's it's really uh, something. So I went on in this way and kept you know practicing and and uh, uh, pursuing this. Um, And I can say I have no regrets about that. You know, I have no regrets about any of the time that I spent uh, in cultivating the mind and heart. And it's only served me uh, after that and everything else that I've done, which has included going back to get a regular job and live a regular life uh, and be in relationships. And uh, you know, at the moment now it's coming back to have me uh, teach, uh, teach Dharma here, which is a joy. So at that time, uh, I remember my, uh, I had some friends who were in more traditional pursuits, right? Who were in like medical school or law school. And I remember talking to some batch of um, them and uh, it tended to be people who were like more, uh, saw a path for their life in such things. And I remember talking to this one guy who was like, uh, about his life and he was like, oh, I'm going to um, do, you know, finish medical school and then I'm going to specialize as a cardiologist. Then I'll become a pediatric cardiologist then I'll get married. I'll also marry a Jewish woman of this, uh, you know, he had it all worked out, right? Then we're going to have two kids and then we're going to do this. And, you know, and I kept, I was kind of interested. So I kept pushing him until basically like death, you know, <laughs> like the end of the story, you know, kind of like where it's going to go, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of funny, but, it, and, uh, you know, now 20 some years later, actually, um, you know, this guy's life has actually not turned out like that. Because we actually cannot orchestrate all of that. So, in fact, he actually did become a specialist, like he wanted. But then, 
you know, he he actually had a hard time finding the right person to get married to, and then uh, he did get married, and then um, they had a child, but the child had disability, right? Also nothing he could have predicted, and, you know, his life is just very different. And it's good, right? It's I think he's, um, you know, happy and all that stuff, but it's just like you cannot map it out, you know? Like none of that is uh, predictable. Uh, so even when you think like, oh, okay, this person looks like they have it all together, and they have it so much more together than me, and, you know, like nobody knows, nobody knows, you know. So the real truth, the real strength is being able to rest in, in this not knowing. Uh, and it's fun to be able to rest in this mystery, you know, to be open to what actually might be arising, to see that fresh, right? So on a big picture way about what you're doing in your life, uh, in a small way, just like when you're in interaction with someone, right? So notice when you're like, oh, I know who you are. I know what you're going to say, right? When you're like already locked into that. Versus when you can actually be like, oh, let's see who this person is, right? Let's see who I am. You know, like, let's just actually be freshly in relationship, right? Or you can notice on the other side, when someone is interacting with you, and it seems like they already know all the answers, right? Uh, And they already have an idea about who you are, and like what you're going to say, and they they have it all mapped out, right? It's not a very interesting conversation, right? Like, it it feels like kind of, like... uh, kind of hemmed in and, you know, boring. I don't know. It's not as engaging and creative, right? You don't feel like you're really seen either, right? They're just like having some stereotype of you, of like, you should be like this, you should be like this, right? So we get caught in that all the time, you know? Like our minds will continue to kick up all kinds of things. The monkey mind that you've seen on retreat will continue to be the monkey mind in your life, right? That trickster mind that will soaked in delusion, Occasionally coming out with uh, also uh, generosity and kindness when the clouds part. So the best we can do is to pay attention, uh, stay interested, and cultivate our courage, our ability to actually drop in. So rest in the not knowing. And it's a way like some version of doubt, but it's actually uh, dropping in in a different way to like this great doubt, which is just like the openness to the arising to the arising in every moment as best as we can. So I wish this for you as you uh, continue on. So a continued interest uh, in paying attention to the mind and body process, continued interest in trying to read the trains that go through your mind, right? It's trying to learn to read those signs as best you can. A kindness for all the times that you will get on the wrong train, right? It will happen again and again. You'll wake up in the desolate wasteland and then, okay, that's what happened, right? <laughs> Try and come back. Next time you'll get three letters of the you know, name, next two letters, right? It's okay, right? Uh, and, and really the uh, courage to drop into that vulnerability of life, you know, for yourself, for others. And when we tap into that, it actually is, there's nothing that we can do but feel compassion for all of us because all of us are in the same boat, even the people who think that they're not. All the animals, all the people. So let's just sit together for a moment here on our last evening.
And may we all have the courage to rest with openness in the truth of how things are and be open to manifesting our own incredible beauty, our own strength, which all of us have, for our benefit and the benefit of all beings. So enjoy very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.